Our guest today is the president and founder of Evil Girlfriend Media, a small press publisher founded in 2011 with a focus on providing readers with entertainingly evil science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Among their titles include the Kickstarter-backed Women in Practical Armor, a kick-ass anthology of stories about women warriors edited by Ed Greenwood and Gabrielle Harbowie. Other titles include Roms, Bombs, and Zoms, Witches, Stitches, and Bitches, Bless Your Mechanical Heart, Apocalypse Girl Dreaming, and more. Here to discuss just what makes evil girlfriend media just so damn entertainingly evil, the Grim Tidings podcast welcomes Katie Cord to the show. Katie, thanks for hanging out. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. It's a blast to get you on. We are here today to talk about Evil Girlfriend Media. We've had a few other publishers on the show. As of recent, we had uh, Jeff Brown from Cohesion Press talk to uh, James Drake from Realmwalker Publishing Group, as well as Tim Marquitz from Ragnarok Publishing. So we're just getting cool publishers like yourself on the show to talk about publishing. So let's talk about th that today. And we can start off just by telling us how Evil Girlfriend Media came together and how it got started. In 2000, well, it was actually 2010, um, ebooks were really starting to take off. And um, I was trying to become a writer myself, and suddenly people were making millions of dollars online through Amazon and here and there because they're just, it was just a new venture. Um, so I wrote a small book myself and pu self published it under Evil Girlfriend Media which was the title of the company that I came up with. And um, I did such a horrible job at it. Um, I didn't understand book formatting at the time. I didn't understand graphic design. I didn't understand what kind of cover uh, would actually get people to buy the book. And I left it out there for a long time. I went to a couple conventions. Um, I actually got embarrassed a couple times because people were – I'm very critical because as the industry changed and it changed rapidly, uh, the expectations for self-publishing were significant. And um, I ended up pulling the book down and I was in a writer's group and um, some of the people were interested in um, self-publishing and um, one particular person, um, a friend of mine, she wanted to self-publish and I was like, hey, I've made all the mistakes in this. I have this uh, title, this company do you want to publish it under me? And then suddenly all these people came out of the woodwork and they were like, you're going to start a publishing company or a real publishing company. Can I do something with you? And um, so, yeah, so evil girlfriend kind of just uh, was like a snowball effect after that. Um, I've been in, I've been amazed with the people who um, asked to work with me or when I've asked them have been excited to get behind the brand. Um, but it, it kind of just grew organically from a lot of bad mistakes in self-publishing. I guess that's the best way to put it, um, because I feel at this point, when I started taking responsibility for other people's work, um, I made it my job to figure out graphic design, work with graphic designers, pay people to work with me, because I wanted to have high-quality books. And I never wanted any of my authors um, or anyone who's even in any of our anthologies to have a product on a table at a convention or have someone who enjoys their writing be embarrassed because what I produced was not the best that I could make. That's kind of where Evil Girlfriend comes from. The name Evil Girlfriend, I'll go ahead and tell you this because I get asked this all the time, is I've been bullied a lot since I was a little kid. And um, I never thought it would happen as an adult. But when I was in nursing school, I got bullied. And I kind of had lost myself creatively and, and wasn't doing anything and um, this woman, she just completely humiliated me at the hospital. And I was so angry because I knew that it was bullying. And I couldn't believe we were all educated adults acting like this. And so I went home and my boyfriend at the time was like, you need to release this. You can't go around walking around with all this anger. And so um, I've kind of been a doodler my whole life. And so I drew this comic and he was like, oh, my God, you have a lot of evil in you. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it was like horrible. And you can find it if you Google my name. I, I've taken it off the Internet, but it's still, you know, cached. Um, and um, so, yeah. And so that's where the title comes from, is that I have a little dark in me. You have dark in you. And so we all have this nice persona, but people can push us and we can create dark things to release that. They're still funny. I mean, the comic is funny, but 
yeah, that's where the name comes from. I get asked that every convention we <laughs> do, every person who wants to work with a company, uh, more than anything, they want to know why are you the evil girlfriend? You got these cute little cheeks, and you're really, you know, peppy. So <laughs> why, why do you think you get to have this title? So that's why it's because. Just like everyone else, um, I have a little dark inside of me, and, and I express it creatively. For people that, that listen to our show, they like uh, examples of dark things. So could you give us an example of one evil thing that was in your comic that <laughs> well, so, had your boyfriend go, oh, you're evil? <laughs> so um, I can I can always give you a clip so you can put it on your website, too. This girl, like, I, it's a commentary on just – and fortunately, it's me being a bitch because – one of the things that women do, and we're just trained from little girls to do this, is pick each other apart by what we look like. And I did pick her apart. She, as a nurse, we're not allowed to have fake fingernails, especially if you work um, on medical surgical floors for infection. Her hair was horrible. She just was a mess with her makeup. And so I just over-exaggerated all of that. And I picked on her looks, which I don't do anymore. I've, I've grown. I've matured as a person. This was when I was like 24. Um, and I'm much older now. But I was just like, this bitch, I'm going to just <laughs> And so it's like a hospital in the background. And it's like burning. And this little old man is like got a little walker. And he's trying to run away from the fire. And she's like, this place would fall apart without me. And I know that doesn't seem like horrible. But if you see the visual of this like picture of this woman I drew just because it wasn't that she really looked like that on the outside as much as that's what she was like on the inside and I brought it out um but in my writing um I tend to that's one of the things I explore a lot in my own personal writing is that um I look at the ugly in people and like magnify it sometimes to just show like okay what how do people treat each other and um when I did my short story collection um I was no, when I got married, I was not a very happy bride. I the well, I hate to freak in a minute, but the first time I got married, I was a bridezilla, and uh, and I reflected on that. And when I, I did, I wrote this short story about this narcissistic um, woman who's obsessed with her wedding during the zombie apocalypse, and <laughs> <laughs> she kind of like starts killing everybody. She's worse than the zombies because she wants it her way, and so that's the kind of things that I deal with, especially. I personally like to focus on women, um, but as a, a reader, when I was younger, I, I really like to read things that um, on the surf, if you're just a surface reader, you wouldn't necessarily see how dark it is. But, and I, I was a huge science fiction reader. So um, those are some of the examples on my own particular work. As far as Evil Girlfriend, um, Murder Girls, which is a book that just came out um, in the middle of November. It's about how, like the herd mentality and how people can be easily manipulated into doing what others want. And so it's about these college co-eds, and they sort of develop this herd mentality and become serial killers. So that's the kind of dark stuff I like to examine, too, is like, how do people manipulate one another and um, commit murder? And um, I know, like, in our um, Women in Practical Armor, there's a lot of dark in it, um, because you see these women who are middle-aged uh, warriors and how they're kind of jaded and how they're affected by all the trauma that's been put on them. But at the same time, they're incredible badasses that are fighting in these wars, protecting people, and they're all doing it in practical armor. So no bikini chainmail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about uh, women in practical armor. That's really kind of the um, title Kickstarter campaign that kind of puts you in our peripheral vision. Um, yeah. It's a very cool anthology. Uh, give tell us a little bit about that and how successful it was on Kickstarter. Well, I'm I won't lie. I'm incredibly shocked. We made nineteen thousand dollars on that Kickstarter, almost twenty. I thought we might hit six k, which is what we wanted, um, but I had a group of authors who were so passionate about the project that they came from all, they were spreading across the whole internet universe, you know, trying to get people to give us money. 
And I'm going to mention this real quick. Because of that, like how hard they all worked, um, the original um, deal was that they got paid six cents a word. And then um, if we hit certain goals, they got eight cents. And then I actually ended up maxing out everybody and paying everybody the max amount. Because I just felt like a lot of people complain, uh, authors complain about Kickstarters. Like, you expect me to do all this work, but you're not giving me anything more than what my minimum is for my story. And I was like, they've done all this amazing amazing social media. Um, they're just passionate about the project. I feel like they deserve, it's going to cut into my budget, but I feel like they deserve to be rewarded for that because that's what the point of the Kickstarter is. And if the authors don't help you create that project, you're screwed. Cause I'm, I'm only one person and I knew it was an amazing project because one, we're dealing with women to their middle-aged women um, and there's a lot of value only put on women who are, you know, young and pretty and, you know, they're just experiencing the world for the first time <laughs> and gaining their power. It's like there's a problem with women who are, they've learned lessons. They are already badasses. Um, it's like they're used, tired and old. And, and so with this anthology, we wanted to show, no, if I've already been in battle, I'm going to kick your ass. And I have a valuable, interesting story to tell because we see characters, especially fantasy characters all the time. We have the roguish male or the strong, powerful man who's been in battle, and we respect that. But you really don't see it with women as much. Um, so I felt like that was key for the, the anthology is we're, we're focusing on um, not only putting the characters in smart gear, but we're also uh, focusing on ageism. And so I wanted to make sure that you know, people realize what we were doing. And in my Kickstarter videos and in our post, you know, I, I made an emphasis on that. And I'm like, you know, people who are donating to this, you're changing fantasy genre, whether you want to or not. And there have been other people who've done satire, like Chicks and Chainmail. Is, uh, that's a series from, I think, the 90s that was really fun. I actually didn't know about it until the Kickstarter. And someone sent me a link. And um, I was like, okay, this is really cool. <laughs> you know. And there was another antho, I think, that came out in like 2010 that dealt with women who were in practical armor. And um, we just worked really hard on it. And I felt like it has a lot of important things to say while being incredibly entertaining. I couldn't believe that so many people were interested in it. I was just like, oh, my gosh. And, you know, it was from all over the world. I, we were looking at the different countries, and we're like, they have Kickstarter there? I didn't even know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so some of our uh, shipping might be interesting. But yeah, we were, we were really proud of it, and I also was – so thankful of other small presses like Ragnarok, Joe Martin, who is a Kentucky boy, a Kentucky girl. People don't understand that, you know, regionalism. We tend to we <laughs> tend to cheer our own on. And so he actually also helped. And then there were some bigger names in fantasy, you know, like Mark Lawrence. He's he's pretty popular. Um Django Wexler, some of those people, they were sharing their stuff. And I'm like, oh, my God, you guys are so cool. You know, and they had other obligations and couldn't submit to the antho. But they did share and they supported Evil Girlfriend and they supported the project. And I just I was just so amazed. Like that was a win for me anyway, was just seeing other really awesome people share the project and be like, hey, go back this. Because that was worth something in itself because their fans saw them support us. And so we were, I think we got a lot of funds from their fans too. So I, I sent immense thank yous to all of them. I was like, oh my gosh, thank you so much. I'm curious about, well, this, is a, this is actually kind of embarrassing being a fan of uh, fantasy, but uh, I don't know shit about armor. Uh, <laughs> so when the, the the term practical armor i understand means armor that's covering the body so it's not you know they're not getting wounded uh, unnecessarily because it's exposing skin but what kind of armor are the uh, characters wearing that is that that would be determined to be practical uh, armor Okay, so this is a hard question because um, I did the Kickstarter video with uh, some people in Seattle called Seattle Knights. They're not specifically Seattle Knights, the production company, because I don't want to say that they endorsed us, but they were some of the players from there. They were explaining all this armor to me. And I was, and then telling me different periods and like what I was putting on. And I was like, 
oh my God. <laughs> I was like, okay, this covers my heart and my chest. I get that. That's going to cover my arms. Okay, all of this is incredibly uncomfortable. I don't see anything <laughs> practical about it except, you know, a sword <laughs> is not going to penetrate me as easily. <laughs> and as a nurse, I was like, you know, I think the, the impact of the sword to my chest in general could cause a contusion that would make my heart swell. So I don't even know that this is really practical in any fucking way. <laughs> I was like, I just don't think you should get in a fight while you're wearing armor. But <laughs> and it's incredibly, yeah, I can't mention to you how incredibly uncomfortable it is, but I, I can't actually tell you. I have a couple of videos. Um, we haven't released all of them because we're waiting for the antho to come out where um, Douglas Herring, um, who's a really cool guy up in Seattle, he does a lot of video work. He does um, he does a lot of art. Um, I think he worked in the film production company in California for a while. He was explaining it on to me, and I, I really tell you, I, I've never been a big fantasy reader, so he was trying to explain all this, and my head was just about to explode. I, <laughs> well, I can't. I know. I can tell you this. There are different types of styles, for different areas, there's different types of styles for different, you know, time periods. Um, all meant to protect your organs, and um, it's all incredibly uncomfortable. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's about the extent I can tell you today. Um, for me, when you see, if you guys go look at the video, or anyone, any of your listeners go look at the video or any of our images, um, I'm about 150 pounds. I'm pretty big bone girl at five, six, and they had an extra set of armor for me to wear for the video. And it belonged to a woman who weighs about 125, 130 pounds and who's about four inches shorter than me. So at the end of the video, we actually joke. Cause I'm like, I gotta get, I'm going to get out of this armor and leave it to the real women in practical armor because I felt like such a wimp because these women were in full chain mail. Then they had their armor on top of that. They had a protective cloth underneath and this was in the spring. So it's like 70 degrees in Seattle, which is like a hundred anywhere else on the planet. There were times when I thought I was going to cry and I was like, Oh my God, I'm such a baby. These women are like standing here. They have their swords on everything. And I was like, I'm going to rip this off. And I was like, I'm going to die before, before this shoots over. And I'm not an actress in any way, shape or form. And so I kept botching up my lines and I just had to admit it at the end. And I told Doug, I said, Doug, I don't ever want to be a woman in practical armor. I respect <laughs> him. I was like, and he's like, why don't you say that at the end of the video? He's like, just be honest. Because the original storyboard for the video was they were going to teach me how to fight. And I was going to, you know, do sword play and everything. And I do yoga and I lift lightweight um, and I do a little cardio. But I couldn't really maneuver the sword. I wasn't strong enough. Which when we came time to do the campaign, I really wanted to emphasize that and have respect for them because I couldn't. I couldn't do it. And I was like, people need to know how hard this is, like how uncomfortable, how hard, you know, and I think there's a lot of guys that couldn't do what, what these women are doing. I mean, they could probably sustain it, you know, lift it up and sustain it for a little bit, but they're, these, these ladies were practicing before different scenes and they're just flipping this sword back and forth. And there's one scene where I just lift it up and my arm is like shaking the whole time. And they told me they lift weights, they run, they do all these different martial arts classes. And I'm like, this is respect because they also have full-time jobs. So it's a hobby, but it's their passion. It fueled a lot of passion into the project for me because I was like, we need to respect that this is a difficult thing for anyone and especially for women like me who think yoga keeps them fit, we need to know <laughs> there's women out there who are kicking ass and it's okay to make these stories. But I also want to make it realistic, you know, that you got to work hard and this is a hard thing to do. I, I take an escalator at the train station every day. I don't, I don't take the stairs or anything. So I think I would vomit like as soon as I put on a, <laughs> as soon as the metal touched me, I would just like vomit and fall over. Yeah. It was so embarrassing. Like I just like, I'm actually a uniformed officer and I just like, I was just like, holy shit. Like I can handle a gun, but I was like, there's just no way I can do this for like a long period of time. That may be why armies changed over time people were like fuck this shit i'm not wearing this let's just get something else <laughs>
and yeah, because to me, it's like practical armor. You know, even Kevlar vests and stuff—they're heavy, but they are nothing compared to this. Like this is just. I, I, there were times when I was like, if you watch the video, like I have this weird double chin thing and it's, I, it's because it was cutting into my neck and I had a mark and I had actually bruises on my shoulder, uh, on my collarbone afterwards. And I was like, ah, I am a baby. I can't do this. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think our, we're, we're all kind of a little lazy, but I think we'll be battling with drones before long. Nobody's going to do combat battle because we're just too, like, screw it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, let's go do this, not me. Because it, it, it is work. And, and war is hell. And that's one of the reasons why um, our first month's profit is actually going to PTSD charities. Um I have a, besides being a nurse, I, I do a lot of mental health nursing. And so um, PTSD is something I'm very passionate about um, because it, it create, PTSD can create a culture of trauma and a family line of trauma where without meaning to a person whose experiences can teach their kids to be traumatized and have poor behaviors and cannot cope. And so one of the things we need to do is is get them treatment and learn more about the condition and the things that it causes. Um, and so that's one of the other portions of the project that I'm really passionate about, which is why I also wanted a Kickstarter because it costs a lot of money to fund these anthologies. I don't know. Um, I, I think a lot of people think this, the projects just get created. Like there's a money tree for creative projects, which is now <laughs> Kickstarter. But like, I I don't go places unless it's for the business. I don't we don't go do fun things. I don't buy a bunch of extravagant stuff because all my money goes into this business. And so that was one of the things with the Kickstarter was like, okay, if we do the Kickstarter, we can afford to do fundraising for this PTSD charity. And um yeah, so that's one of the other things that I, I really wanted to do with it was we're looking at all of this trauma and all of this war and this battle and to believe like even when you're playing a video game that it doesn't affect people, I, you know, if it was a real thing would be, it's kind of stupid. Yeah. It's going to affect someone's people get traumatized every day just by living. So imagine, you know, you're at war and you see somebody's head get blown off or your friend dies, you know, that, changes your life it changes you and um i think that was one of the things that we wanted to be responsible about having a anthology of people you know dying and getting uh and being fighting in battle so i don't know i'm i'm one of those weird nerdy social justice girls that people make fun of (laughs) (laughs) if i could care (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's a good call. That's a really good calls though to to bring awareness to 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 that. Absolutely. So it's it's great that you're using the platform to to reach uh, well, people in a positive way as well. You know. Well, even for me, it's like um, I'm a horror junkie. Like I've been that way since I was four. Um, I I started out. I I think one of us, a lot of us, creative types. I was on a panel at Living Dead um, Con and. It seems like a lot of creative people who have parents, there's like two types. You either have parents who never censored you or you had parents that censored you to the point that when you got older, you had to just strike out and like yeah. become crazy. And, um, but I, I was never censored. And so I watched some crazy shit as a little kid. Like I, I there's a movie called Eating Raul from the 80s. I saw that when I was <laughs> I saw Children of the Corn multiple times. I remember yelling at my mom that it was on HBO at like five o'clock in the morning while I was getting ready to go to the school bus for kindergarten. And, but I, I also think that, you know, we got to kind of keep that line where people are like, this isn't reality, dude. You know, you can't, this is not what this is. Like if this shit happened in real life, people are going to be in the fetal position in the corner, you know, crying because our, most of us are not built to handle that kind of those kinds of things, you know, long-term I probably would have been uh, slaughtered by Malachi pretty quickly 
or you know <laughs> in the zo- I always like one of my things is I love zombies and I love exploring how people would react during like apocalypses and um or even in like dystopias like people I've had people say oh I would never be a sheep oh yes you would be a sheep your ass would be in line with everybody else taking your pill or doing what you're told because humans adapt and want to survive and I that's one of the I, I see you see the resistance fighters and all like especially with the YA like Divergent and Hunger Games and all that. And they're like, Yeah, that's who I would be. And it's like I wanna tell especially when I'm talking to teenagers or doing writing workshops, I'm gonna be like, Yeah, you would totally be that person but sometimes I'm just like, Why don't we examine how we react in real life? Like mm you're going to go to school and they're going to tell you this alternate history or they're going to tell you this is, and you're going to want to challenge it. But nine times out of 10, if you challenge it, you know, you're going to be, you're going to disappear or, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's, that's why I, I'm pretty passionate about the PTSD thing is we need to see the reality of, of what it is. And even though we want to romanticize battle and all these things, it screws people up. So I think you're a lot different from me from the perspective of growing up uh, with with horror a lot, Um, because uh, when I was a kid, I remember there was a scene in one of the Godfather movies where somebody walks into a massage parlor or something and shoots this guy in the face. (laughs) And I I remember crying like I was I was that sensitive when I was little that I just started crying and um It's interesting to hear, you know, someone that watched horror movies from a really young age, uh, and and carried over into adulthood. Whereas, you know, when I was young, I was really, really sensitive, and then now, you know, nothing really affects me anymore. But uh, how how does that tie into your your publishing? uh, Philosophy? Do do you focus mostly on horror or do are you uh, you have the women of practical armor which is um uh fantasy more fantasy based but you're primarily a horror publisher um well we we've done some dark stuff but um my mission statement in my mind and i i do have it on the website which is also um one of the things i think me and rob uh, Rob was like, I can't find this on your website. We're actually redesigning our website to make it more friendly for people to come and visit. But um, my mission has always been to publish high-quality fantasy, science fiction, and horror. There's a caveat to that, that specifically I've wanted to publish work that women like or women would be interested in. And I'm not just saying women's fiction, like you see the stuff with like the cute like cartoony, you know, like cozy mystery, this kind of stuff. I just, I grew up um, on what was mostly a male dominated field. You know, we were Clive Barker, Dean Koontz, Stephen King, Aldous Huxley, you know, Robert Heinlein. Those were people that I looked up to because they're, they were the people who were getting the most spotlight. Um, and as a nurse, uh, you know, you're sitting around, you're eating lunch, um, all these women are talking about Fifty Shades of Grey and Twilight and things like that. And I'm like, there's some really good stuff out there you've never read, you know, and just recommending books to them. And they're like, oh, this is really awesome. And like, I would have never read that because that's science fiction. That's for like weird people. And I I am the weird girl. I will let you all know that. Or weird woman at, at work. They're like, oh, she goes to all this weird stuff. She's just so cute. Um, but even getting those women converted to reading um, outside of that box of what is told to them is for them is, is like what the company is all about. So we're not specifically horror or science fiction or fantasy. We're all of those things with, uh, with my mission being that I want to market work that will be appealing not only to men, but to women specifically women who do not know that they would like science fiction, fantasy, and horror. 
um, because I got a friend even hooked on Game of Thrones and she's like, oh my God, this is like reading a soap opera. And I'm like, yeah, it kind of is. <laughs> more murder. <laughs> with, with more murder and incest than any person should have to handle in their whole lifetime. It's like being, uh, yeah, I, I better not go there. It's like, yeah. I, you know, being from Eastern Kentucky, we there's a lot of drama uh, up there. Sometimes I'm watching Game of Thrones. I'm like, oh, this is hitting a little too close. To home. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of where where I come from with Evil Girlfriend. Um, I have found that a lot of men um, like the concept of Evil Girlfriend. They even like some of the pitches for the storyline. They're just. I've had guys be like, your book covers are too pretty. And I'm like, a pretty book cover does not mean that there's not hard-hitting stories that you are going to enjoy in here. And that was what I was really nervous about women in practical armor. I was like, okay, how many pieces of hate mail am I going to get from men who are like, you're a bitch, you're a feminist, you're all these horrible things. Um, and and being a feminist is not horrible, and being an assertive woman is not a horrible thing. But I, I didn't want to alienate anyone. That was more my, my mission because I had already gotten all this feedback at conventions where guys are like, well, you know, I kind of think this is cool, but I, I can't be walking around a convention with this book. And so I actually started bringing black bags to the conventions. I'm like, oh, well, here's your bag if you want to take this home. You know, I'll sell it to you today, and you know nobody has to know you. You have a book with a pretty woman on the front of it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> and and so I think with women practical armor, it really showed me that that barrier, you know, that stigma is not there so much. Um, but I don't know. I I don't. I think we're getting past that. Like especially with the younger generation, the the whole gender thing is just mm-hmm. really not as relevant as it used to be. It's like, okay, you know, men can like pretty books. Men can have a book that's purple. Men can have a book that's, you know, pink. Uh, women can like whatever they want to like. And and I love that. Um, but like I had a guy at a convention last year who um, he kept walking by the booth, kept walking <laughs> by the booth. And then finally he comes over with like his 14, 15 year old daughter. And he's like, okay, we're going to buy this book, this book, and this book. And um, he was paying, and I was asking her, you know, just the assumption that she was the reader. And I was like, oh, it's like, how old are you? What do you like to read? And she's like, these are not for me. She's like, these are for him. And I was like, oh, cool. I was like, and he just kind of, like, grabbed his books and, like, walked away. I was like, do you want anybody to sign this? Because we had a couple authors there. And he's like, no. Oh, it's cool. It's cool. (laughs) So I think. I, I don't know. Like I told you guys, you guys got to herd me in because I'll just keep talking about it and go on different tangents. But, um, but yeah, that's the goal of Evil Girlfriend. I have been able to publish people who've won Writers of the Future, Nebula Award nominees, um, Hugo Award nominees and winners, and give this to, to people who would not necessarily know that they're reading some of the best science fiction, fantasy, and horror that's coming out. Um, and... I, I that that just makes me happy inside because I want the quality of fiction, um, especially for women, to be super high because I I appreciate Stephanie Meyer for getting women reading again, but I do feel like uh, women deserve the highest quality that they can get. Men deserve we deserve to have art and writing that's high quality for everyone, and um, I just I just was like. I don't feel like it, like especially with the Fifty Shades of Grey book. I don't feel like that is acceptable piece of work for, especially a publisher who has a significantly bigger budget than me, to put out something that I would have written, you know, ten years ago, with no with minimal editing, um, and then tell people that this is um, this is acceptable literature, like. Even if it's at like a fifth or sixth grade reading level, it needs to be the best that it can be. To even if it's just to get women off, you know, the, you have a certain. We all have a certain responsibility as publishers to try to make it the best possible piece of work, and not just be, you know, I I know they made millions and millions of dollars off of that, but I just I was like, come on, guys, y'all made should have made her go back and rewrite this, 
you know, this is just not fair to anyone to charge us fourteen ninety five for this. And then it's, it's, it's just not good. It could be so much better. And I could be a perfectionist, y'all. That's, that could be my problem too. I could be a perfectionist, but I just, I, I don't feel like in that if a small press put out something like that, if I put out something like that, I, we would be getting our heads ripped off, you know, because it'd be like, what the hell are you doing? You know? Do you think it's like a perception thing? Like if a big publisher puts out something, then people just have this assumption that it's good. Oh, hell yeah. Where, yeah. Yeah. I'm going to agree with you. Totally. I mean, it, it, it's, but that's tough. I mean, it's, it's one of the things, especially with self publishers and small presses is that it's, there's this automatic assumption that we're not working our ass off to give the best that we can, that it's never going to be good enough because we're not these big presses. But if you look at all of the people who are doing small press, like Raw Dog Screaming Press, you know, Ragnarok is doing an amazing job. Um, you might not have even, um, he may not be on your ra radar yet, but Patrick Swinson, he does a small press, which the name is totally escaping me right now, but he's an English teacher and he publishes people who've won all kinds of awards. And we don't sell at the level that they sell, but every piece of work that we're putting out, you know, we want it to be the best that we can do. Fairwood and, Press. Yeah, Fairwood. There you go. And um, and to see a, a publisher who's paying, you know, an editor like 20 times what my editors get paid and then something to be a total piece of shit is just like, it. it's disheartening. Especially when we get ripped, get our heads ripped off for like a book having six typos. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I was like, this is a seventy-five thousand word piece. You know, it took us three months to put it out. We had a copy editor, we had an editor, we had a book formatter, we had a proofer. Six typos ain't bad, you know. <laughs> and then you get something from one of the large publishers. You're like, I don't think this should be in a bookstore. This isn't fair. <laughs> so you've got uh, women in practical armor. That's going to have a full release in April of 2016. Yes. So people can pick that up um, in April um, as well as the Kickstarter supporters as well. What other titles does uh, evil girlfriend media have out currently or have it coming, coming out soon that our listeners should uh, keep a lookout for? Well, um, for science fiction, I highly highly recommend The Archivist by Tom D. Wright. Um, I love the book. It is the concept, basically, uh, Terminator meets Indiana Jones. It's about this uh, character who, after the whole the technology of the whole world is wiped out by the sentient AI, um, he's going around and collecting it. He's called an archiver, and they're trying to figure out how to fix the technology. And he meets all these different interesting characters and people who get in his want to get in his way from him um, completing his mission. Um, and I really like it. It's kind of campy, fun, and if you're a post-apocalyptic person, you'll really enjoy it. Um, Apocalypse Girl Dreaming is a collection of short stories by uh, Jennifer Brozak, who gives you it gives you anything from fantasy, science fiction, and horror, and she has a story that uh, is in the Mercedes Lackey world. Um, so if, if you, and she has permission from Mercedes, she's worked with her um, several times, and um, it's great. And then Murder Girls, I cannot recommend Murder Girls. We, we have it at uh, 99 cents. We're going to keep it there until the end of the month, and then it's going to go up to 5.99 like the rest of our books. So um, I highly recommend that people get in there and, and get that while it's still at a low price. Um, and then coming out in February is Rachel, which has gotten um, amazing uh, reception. It's about a vampire in Tokyo, um, British vampire in Tokyo. And um, she is about 150 years old and she's struggling um, to accept the fact that she's a vampire. Very dark, very bloody, uh, lots of hot lesbian sex. So, are <laughs> <laughs> your your forte? You're gonna really love this book. And and Dobramir Harrison, who's the writer, he's so charming. I he doesn't like it, but I call him 
the new Hugh Grant of horror. And he's like, <laughs> oh, please don't call me that. And I'm like, all right, I won't tell too many people that. <laughs> well, we're going to call him that. Yeah. <laughs> Hugh Grant. Well, or- I Skyped with him and he's in Japan and I Skyped with him and, you know, he has this very charming British accent and he's super polite and he's just got this really cute, geeky, you know, sci-fi horror vibe going on. And I'm like, I think we should do a lot of YouTube videos with you before we, <laughs> I'm going to exploit you. I just want to let you know. <laughs> but yeah, he's, he's been really, he's been really fun and, um, yeah, and then we have Women in Practical Armor in April, and um, yeah, I'm hoping to get that out to a much larger audience than um, we've been able to do with any of our other books because of the Kickstarter. Awesome. Something we ask everybody is uh, is about marketing. Uh, that's kind of my thing I've latched onto, it's, uh, or leached onto, however you want to say. Um, <laughs> I'm really fascinated with marketing and how different publishers approach approach this uh how do you how do you uh handle your marketing and uh, what are some avenues you use to to get the word out um well the first thing that i've done for marketing is started reading more about marketing um because in the beginning we were putting out all these different like visuals and memes and they were kind of some of them would work some would be flat but it wasn't actually helping with um purchasing like people weren't still publishing the purchasing the books so i looked at how do i get people to buy the product um and where are these people at and so focusing on okay this specific book this genre where are those people located how can i get to them what keywords do i need to put in the search engines to get people looking for this um, what avenues do I need to go through? Is this a book that would be needs to be uh, reviewed by like Romance Times, even though it's science fiction or horror? Um, who can I get to help me publish it? And specifically with the Kickstarter, I started the planning for our marketing about six months beforehand. Like I knew I was going to do these kinds of visuals, these videos on these days, and I scheduled everything. Um, I also talked to other people who've done Kickstarters. Um, We did research on when is the best day to release your Kickstarter statistically. I mean, I was looking at statistics, um, reading about other people who had had success. Um, Yeah, it it was very complex. Um, And one of the websites that uh, they send a lot of free stuff out, obviously they want you to subscribe to their service and pay them, but you don't have to, is HubSpot. It's H-U-B-S-P-O-T. They give out amazing marketing advice. They give out free templates for uh, creating social media plans. Um, They'll do, uh, if you... I have signed up for so many of their different little things that they, they know I'm probably never going to pay them money for their service. But even stock photos, they give away stock photos so that you don't have to pay for your uh, stock images. Um, so I've, I've read a lot from them um, and just watched what they're doing. Um, another thing that I've done is like specifically with nonprofits, because we have a new anthology out right now called Naughty or Nice which we're trying to raise money for cystic fibrosis. Um, I looked at, well, how do I do a marketing plan that will attract people who are interested in fundraising for a nonprofit? And so I searched for different guides on creating a marketing plan focused on nonprofits because I wanted people who are interested in cystic fibrosis, whether it's a family member or it's someone who... um, is just interested in fundraising in general. How can I find those people? They might not necessarily be uh, readers of science fiction, fantasy, or horror and don't necessarily prefer their holiday reading to be that. But are they going to purchase this book because I'm trying to make some money for cystic fibrosis? And using those guides and just reading about like, okay, am I doing a marketing plan where I'm just telling you how wonderful I am, which usually doesn't work? Mm. Or am I doing a plan where you feel like you're part of what I'm trying to do, which then makes you 
want to take action, which is to purchase the book or share the product. Um, I, I never thought I would be spending the majority of my time reading things like this, but um, it's helped immensely because if you're always just doing trial and error, you get tired and you get frustrated really easily and you just want to give up. There were probably about five or six months where before I started refocusing on learning truly learning marketing instead of just guesswork where I got so exhausted. I was like, I have to take a break because I can't, can't do this anymore. I don't know what I'm doing and I'm tired. I can't write my own stuff. I barely have time to respond to emails because I'm just sitting here trying to figure out what to say on Twitter or say on Facebook. And I don't want to just keep saying things that don't mean anything to me or anyone else. Um, and the one thing that's always a fallback is ask people how they're doing. Ask people what they want. Because people, this is not a derogatory statement, people love to talk about themselves. Listen to me. You guys are <laughs> this podcast. You've been quiet the whole damn time. And I'm just like, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> because people love to share their experiences and talk about themselves. And they, everybody wants to be heard. They want their opinion heard. And if they feel like you find them valuable and you care about them, then they're more likely to care about you and what you're selling or what you want them to listen to or, you know, read or respond to. Um, because I know one of the things uh, I read somewhere, which, you know, of course, we all Google ourselves. We Google our products. We Google to see what people are saying behind our backs. Um, someone had mentioned that we were just uh, like pat on our, we just wanted to pat ourselves on the back. And I, I was like, well, why would this person say this? You know, what am I doing that, you know, makes it seem like we're, we're not wanting to interact with fans or talk. And then I just realized whatever, you know, but I, I did kind of shift the focus on, okay, let's just quit bragging or saying, Oh, we're working with this person, blah, blah, blah. But trying to make some kind of meaningful uh, interaction um, with the people out there who do care about our products. And, and some people just don't want to be heard. Like, I was at another convention, and it was really weird. This woman and her husband kept walking by, and finally the husband goes, she really likes all your work, and she follows you on social media. She just doesn't want to talk to you. I was like, hey, all right. <laughs> so you're always going to have those quiet people that are secret fans that don't necessarily, they're not going to ever interact with you on social media. They're not going to share but they still, you know, they still respect what you're doing and they're going to buy it, but they just want to be left alone. <laughs> well, other people, you know, want to feel like they're part of it. Like uh, with Kickstarter, we did a thing called the Legionnaires where we had kind of like a street team and having those folks on board really helped because they're not in the industry at all. And so when they were sharing and talking about the project and they're like, oh, I'm part of this, that excited other people who have nothing to do with the industry where they're like, Oh, cool. My friend is helping out this company. Now I want to help out my friends so that they feel good about what they're doing with this company. And, um, the nice thing about Kickstarter is you can see like how that tracks. Cause you can see where people are coming from, like what, like their location and like what they're backing and, you know, we were able to, I was like, okay, so these two people are from Texas and they posted on these days and we got this, this, and this person who are from the same region as them and then check. And it's like, okay. And they're friends with them on Facebook. So this post that they did, you know, most likely correlated to this backing. Um, and I would probably, I would love to have another street team that just works with Evil Girlfriend all the time because those people are incredibly important, the fans who influence other fans. Um, if you have those champions of whatever it is you're doing, uh, they're, they're worth a million bucks. You know, they just, they get other people excited about what you're doing. And I have a, I have a lady in Texas that, um, she has just been like a huge cheerleader for us and all of our products. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to be in Texas in May. We're going out to dinner. I'm taking her out to dinner and just, you know, appreciating her for, for being that person who's just constantly being a cheerleader for Evil Girlfriend Media. Um, and that's, that's one thing that we emphasize, too, as well, um, is, is creating evangelists and supporting those evangelists um, for our podcasts. And that can be for 
uh, a publishing company or for books or for authors or for a podcast is uh, having those people out there who love that uh, product that you have. And uh, when you see them making noise, you applaud them for, <laughs> right. for their efforts because sharing is, is caring. Really, when it comes to to internet uh, uh, marketing and advertising and getting the word out, I, I personally thank people who who share like the podcast, like on Facebook or whatnot. If they share the link, I'm like, I, I instant message them. I'm like, thank you for sharing the show. It's it's much appreciated because that's that's gold. And oh so, yeah. <laughs> so it's it's cool to to um, applaud those who who love what you've got going on. Well, and I'm I'm sure you guys know this with the podcast. Um, it's the same with publishing and writing. 99% of the time, you are in front of a computer, on your butt, rattling your brain, working very, very hard. And then there's like this small smidgen of time where you're, you know, like in a photo or, you know, you do all this work just for that one podcast. But it looks so glamorous to people who don't do it, you know. And when you can get people to appreciate, like, how much work you put in it, you know, that's amazing, but it looks very glamorous to them. Whereas you're in your pajamas, you know, sitting beside the, with a computer, like eating your lunch, trying to cram as much creative time as you can, which to people who are, who don't get enjoyment out of it probably seems like the worst punishment in the <laughs> world. But, you know, us creative types, that's what we live to do. Um, and yeah, so I, I really appreciate it when someone sees that, you know, oh, this is so awesome that you did this. There was hard work put behind this. You know, this is your passion, but it's not, just doesn't magically appear. Because um, um, yeah. I don't know if you guys know my boyfriend, Timothy W. Long. He's a zombie horror writer. And um, yeah. someone mentioned to him one time, they were like, you guys lead the funnest life. And, <laughs> and then we're like staring, we were laughing about it one day. We we're staring at each other. Like, had not even gotten out of our pajamas one Sunday. It was, like, 5 o'clock in the afternoon. We're, like, drinking our coffee, writing, watching Netflix. And I was, like, well, I wonder if they realize that 99% of the time this is what we do every weekend because, you know, the book's got to be made. <laughs> they don't just make themselves if you're out partying or, you know, doing whatever. Um, they actually, you know, it's work. And um, you just, it's just work you have to love doing. Well, that that is until the future when we have robots that do all the publishing, and then no one no one does anything, <laughs> and the robots do everything. Yeah, yeah, robots publishing books, robots writing books, everything. <laughs> but you know, I, I, the only thing talking about the future of publishing, um, there's only one problem with that. Have you ever tried to use your spell check? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It doesn't care if that is the correct word or not, as long as it's spelled correctly. <laughs> you know, it might not yeah. be the correct word. So, and and there's just an um, an authenticity to human creativeness. I mean, like I think there's things that robots could do, but humans, there's something about our spirit and our the power of our knowledge that I just don't think that computers are ever going to be able to capture. I mean, cause think of the things that, you know, like when you're in high school, I mean, you're even reading things like the Canterbury tales and it's like, there are interesting things about that. If you're a reader, I mean, the first recorded fart was in that collection. <laughs> first written fart. <laughs> Somebody's got to find that funny. <laughs> it's obviously timeless. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see that. I do see potentially more automation, um, even more than where we're at now. Um, but I don't know that. I don't think that everything is going to be robotic. Let's hope not. Um, that would be a sad but, world. <laughs> but if you get, but if you still get paid through the robot, then it, it's like the robot is your. Well, it's kind of like that really depressing movie uh, with Bruce Willis. What's oh. it called? Um, shit. Is it the one? It's not Looper. That was kind of depressing. Um, yeah, that was depressing too. But, uh, <laughs> this one was uh, surrogates, oh. where the people they just lay in a they just lay in like a coffin all day or something, and then these surrogates go walk around and they're like robots and they live their they live the people's lives, and then they just like hang out in a like some kind of coffin and they wake up for like five minutes and drink a glass of water and then they go back to sleep. <laughs> That's like the whole reality. Yeah. It's like God. 
Well, and that's like, yeah, talking about that, it's like more of the dystopian utopia kind of thing. Because a utopia is just a dystopia. I mean, there's no such thing as utopia unless you take out all of the things that make us human, like jealousy, greed, you know, um, anything that would bust up the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's, those are the things that make it fun to be human. You know, it's like uh, that the surrogates reminds me kind of, you know, like, I think it was 1984 where they have to take Soma to, like, basically keep them calm and they don't love and they don't really have feelings or opinions. And then these two people fall in love and then that just kind of makes everything, you know, go to hell. Um, <laughs> it's sort of true sometimes. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I... I don't know. I, how did we get on this? I don't even know. Yeah. Where did this come from? <laughs> it's fake. <laughs> so, in, but, in, in lieu of the robots <laughs> taking taking everything over, Evil Girlfriend Media must continue. Um, are you guys taking submissions currently? Um, no, not at this time. Um, we. It looks like we're set up to start submissions in January, um, and I think we'll probably just stay open for a month. Um, Right now, I still have a full-time job, and it's a career, so it's going to last at least another 10 to 15 years. And so I, I just want to stay small at this point. Um, we're just building a small empire, and um, one day at a time, because I don't want to get to the point where we can't talk to our authors or you know address what they need. And I think sometimes if you're a bigger company, that people can get lost. So yeah, we'll... we'll most likely open in January 2016, stay open for a month, and then out of that selection, if we find something that we really like and want to invest our time in, then we'll we'll accept those. Excellent. Um, are you holding a piece of paper by chance? I am rubbing a coffee mug. Oh, okay. I'm going to stop. <laughs> <laughs> There's some sort of like sandpaper sound that's been picking up for a little while, so I'm not sure if that's you or Phil, but it's kind of picking up on the microphone. No, no, no. It's my cup. You know, have, they have a nice little paper ring, oh, and okay. you're just like, I was just twisting it. <laughs> I've stopped. I'm going to be good now. I have to wear my producer hat sometimes. So. No, no, no. That's why, why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So, so... Uh, possibly in January, then you'll be taking some some submissions for e Evil Girlfriend. And I appreciate the fact of you wanting to keep it small because things can get uh, out of hand and and things can get overlooked the bigger you get. And and so um, uh, I appreciate that too, as well as your dedication towards making awesome fiction available to to men and women readers alike. Um, very cool. Everything Evil Girlfriend Media has going on, and it's very cool to have you on the show, and that's why we brought you on today. For folks who want to find out more about you or Evil Girlfriend Media, where, the sh where should they find you on social media? Um, well, they can find me um, at KatieCord1 on Twitter. They can find me on Facebook. They can find Evil Girlfriend Media on Facebook and Twitter. Those are the two we mainly use. Um, if they want to contact us, um, they can use the contact uh, form on e www.evilgirlfriendmedia.com. Um, I also have my own website. I don't check the email there very often, so the best way to contact uh, me is to go through the uh, contact form on Evil Girlfriend Media. Um, I also don't really talk to people through Facebook or um, Twitter unless I know who you are or someone I know knows you. So if you want to do something professional with me and I don't know you at all, you would need to go through uh, our contact form. Gotcha. So no randos. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> I get random people. And I just want to say one other thing about the submissions. Uh, check your Check your crazy at the door. And be professional. And that doesn't matter if you're working with Evil Girlfriend or anyone else. Um, just conduct yourself as a professional. If you would not talk to your boss at your day job that way, don't talk to me that way. Um, it's just a little last-minute tidbit. I, 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 me, Evil Girlfriend, Ragnarok, anyone else, send polite professional emails um, and conduct yourself as though this was your business that you get paid every day as your day job. Um, yeah. So that's just a little uh, tidbit from four years in the business. That <laughs> <laughs> I mean, have, have, have you noticed a, a tendency for an unprofessionalism at some level or? Um, sometimes people can write emails that they, 
I understand that people want to be assertive or they want their needs met immediately. But if I don't have an answer for you, you're not going to get an email until I have an answer or you're going to get an email that says I don't have an answer. Um, and it's just the same with like uh, one time someone wrote something that um, I just was like, oh, my gosh, you sound like somebody who's abused someone because they use the words, you made me do this to you. And I just was like, would you say that to your boss at work that I made you, that they made you act like a jerk, you know? <laughs> and it just really, it was like, I had to stay off email for two days. Cause I was like, it just kept going through my mind. Like you, you made me do this to you. And I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to talk to this person again <laughs> or see them. Um, so yeah, just, you know, if you wouldn't say it to your boss at, at your day job, don't say it to me or anyone else in the in the publishing industry. Sound advice. Well, <laughs> we, we, we've had we've had several people come on the show about and talk about social media and the the general uh, what people have said is uh, don't be a shithead, uh, don't be an <laughs> asshole, don't be a jerk. So uh, it, it applies to, and everything. I guess I'm trying to be diplomatic about it, but yeah, don't be a dick. That's yeah. that's the the gist of it. I, I'm not going to pay you money that I could be spending on my dogs or <laughs> buying myself nice cushy stuff that I don't do because I want to pay pay writers or editors or graphic designers. That money could go somewhere else if if you want to act like that. I can take my money and just spend it on myself instead of creating beautiful projects because I don't need this shit anymore. I've been in the business long enough that it's just like you know what? I can take it or leave it. Um, and it sounds kind of cold and, but it's true. It's just one of the true, the truths of it is that you do this long enough. I'm a credibly nice woman. I love making people happy. It's gotten me into trouble because I like to please people and make people happy, but I'm in a new place after doing this a couple of years. I'm like, I'm not going to appease you. If you act like a baby, you act like a jerk, you cuss at me, whatever, you take your your skills, your business somewhere else, and I'll keep my money, and I'll find somebody else. And I know I've been so pleasant through this whole <laughs> interview. Now, like, listen, this is the hard light, but it's just the truth. Um, because we all deserve respect, you know, and we all make mistakes. Like, you know, I was just at a convention where people were like, "Oh my God, this is a new convention. This got screwed up. Whatever." I'm like, okay. Come into this with the mentality, this is a new convention, okay? Don't be so damn harsh on these people. They're just like you and me. They've got their day jobs. They've got their lives. They're working really, really hard. Mistakes are going to be made. So don't be a dick. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. that's a, I, And I always use that because I love Will Wheaton. So. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Will's great. Uh, yes. Um right you guys have been awesome i appreciate you letting me babble on for an hour oh my gosh <laughs> yeah we hit our we hit our we were supposed to hard stop it at 17 minutes ago but i figured if you wanted to keep going that we would just keep going so sorry if we ran over a little bit on time no no, no i'm totally fine i'm a talker okay. so <laughs> i'm like i actually feel like i'm like uh were they why hasn't anyone stopped me so <laughs> well we we tend to we tend to like people that talk a lot uh, that's that's one thing we like. So, if if, if people are talking, we're just like, okay, okay. <laughs> go go with it. Okay, good. Because I was like, uh, they're gonna they're gonna be like, oh my god, she's like, she just wants to shut up. We can't even question. <laughs> no, it's all good. There might be a, a couple things edited out for the sake of time and and post production. Oh yeah, but, totally. Uh, just cut whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's all it, it's all all great conversations. So thank you again so much for for joining us on the show. It's been great to uh, meet you and learn more about Evil Girlfriend Media. And we wish you the best of luck on all of your writerly and publishing endeavors in the future. Oh yes, thank you guys so much. That was great talking to you. So we'll yeah, uh, you too. Thank you. So we'll wrap wrap it right there. Um, I've got a couple, just two other lines of business. I was going to have you read me a liner. I just says, okay. hi, this is Katie Cord, uh, master of the universe. Uh, <laughs> however, you probably CEO and president of Evil Girlfriend Media might be uh, something to insert there. And then uh, and you're listening to the Grim Tidings podcast. And, and then we use that to introduce the episode. So. OK, awesome. Yeah, because I was like, what's this blank space? With yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, 
well, they do. The people who've done the Kickstarter call me Queen Katie. So it's <laughs> <laughs> just like when my project manager did that, and I was like, "Oh my god, no! I am not a queen of anything." But uh, <laughs> all right, so just tell me when you're ready. Yeah, go for it. Hi, this is Katie Cord, owner of Evil Girlfriend Media, and you're listening to the Grim Tidings podcast. Awesome. And then we're doing this other um, sideshow, basically, where we're put mashing a lot of people together and just having them wax eloquent on the same question, which is what makes a memorable character. And then we're going to edit, edit it down and piece it together and play it in the future. And just another way to, to ping you again and get others uh, uh, looking at Evil Girlfriend again uh, a few months down the road. Um, but uh, if you wanted to... Um, Start out by saying, by repeating the question, what makes a memorable character? And then just give us 10 seconds to however long you see fit on, on <laughs> explaining that. And, uh, and we'll uh, feature it in a later episode. So. Oh, okay, goodness. I should have looked at that one at the bottom a little bit better. <laughs> okay. If you need I to mean, take, take a second to think. I'm, I'm, uh, well, okay. Yeah. What makes for a memorable character? A memorable character is one that takes their hand, sticks it in your chest, pulls out your heart, hands it to you with a smile, and you just keep wanting to come back for more. <laughs>